Welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I have my co-host Matt here with me. Another week, another Jets loss in ugly fashion, 13 to 8 to the Atlanta Falcons. Quarterback Tim Boyle, Zach Wilson's infamous replacement, has since been benched and outright released from the team. Uh, some crazy, wild shenanigans the other day with a story from The Athletic talking about Zach Wilson's reluctance to come back and play. And since that story, he has been named the starting quarterback for this next game against the Houston Texans on Sunday. Matt, I just want to start off here and I want to get your reaction. This whole situation with Zach and reluctance to play and does wouldn't want to potentially come back to now being named the starter and in his own words saying that he never had any feelings like that. Where do you feel? Where do you feel the truth lies in this situation and how does it bode going forward? Uh, I, I always feel like the truth always is somewhere in the middle. Um, I think he probably did talk to some people about uh, concerns re- revolving around his next moves in his career, where he will go, and uh, how that could be at risk if he gets injured. Um, and maybe even about our offensive line and how they it's being behind that offensive line is really not conducive to staying healthy. Um, and probably also regarding his past with health issues. So it all probably factored into him probably having some personal conversations with some people. Uh, but I don't think it was ever at a point where he said he wouldn't play or doesn't want to play or, uh, doesn't feel comfortable playing. I don't think it ever got to that point. And it doesn't sound like they ever really even offered the job until just recently, um, at least according to Sala and him. So I, I think it's more in that range, which I I guess I can see his point. It's like, yeah, you, his time as a Jet is probably coming to an end very soon. Uh, and then it's really just looking forward to what's next. And But that even at that point, it's he's got to put something out there that's worth picking up or else people are just going to look right past him once he hits the open market. Yeah, that's um, that's the, the tough thing here, because I agree that the truth is very likely in the middle. Um, Diana Rossini and Zach Rosenblatt, the two reporters from The Athletic, Zach being a Jets beat reporter, Diana being a national NFL reporter, have a pretty dang good track record of accurate info. They are they are not usually the type of people to, to be making claims without any sort of sourcing to back it up. And so all I can say, because we don't know any private conversations or who leaked what or who what source was or anything, I find it hard to believe that they did not have a real source on this topic. I find it hard to believe that this is something that somehow got made up or someone leaked out wrong info and it I, I don't think that's what this is. I, I think that there was very, very likely some legitimate hesitancy from Zach Wilson to want to come back and play for a lot of the reasons that you just talked about, Matt. The offensive line being poor, not being able to protect him in the pocket, the injury risk for the any possibility of the rest of his career, even if it's as a backup somewhere on another team. Zach Wilson having that thought of I need to make sure that I am okay, and this team is so, in such rough shape right now that I'm just going to go out there and get killed and get hurt for no reason. 
I think that there could have been definitely some of that thought process, but I don't think that the truth of the situation is as it was being portrayed, not necessarily by the reporters that reported it, but by everyone after they digested said reporting. As it was reported, Zach had felt some reluctancy to going back in. I think that's exactly what it was, and that there was never a point where Zach Wilson outright said, I'm not going to play. If you try and play me, I don't want to play. I am not going to be on the field. I don't think there was ever that hard line, draw the line in the sand to say, that's it, I'm done, find somebody else. I think there was concerns, like we've gone over. And you can have concerns as a person and still be willing to take that risk and do what is asked of you, required of you, expected of you, etc. Where Wilson may have been reluctant to want to go back into the lineup doesn't mean that he wouldn't. Doesn't mean that, like this week, his number being called upon, where he's now going to be named the starting quarterback, he's going to play. He's going to start. Every There's no indication for anyone to believe otherwise from Wilson himself, the Jets, et cetera, et cetera. I really think that this was a a, a credible story that has been expanded upon and taken really far out of proportion. I, I think the narrative was Zach Wilson told the Jets to shove it. I'm not playing for you. When the reality is Zach Wilson was hesitant about going back in because of a handful of possible reasons, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't. Um, as I just think it's been a, a crazy few days and, and a little bit, unfair from all sides first and foremost i think it's a bit unfair to zach wilson to take the reporting that was given and have it be listed as he's outright refusing to play that said i also think it's just as unfair to diana and zach the reporters in this case who didn't say that who who made very clear that on their reporting they were very very direct in their words to say reluctancy and that there had been whispers of reluctancy and some hesitancy and not an outright, I'm not going to play, find somebody else. And so I feel for Zach for having that mis- misconstrued and having what was likely a private conversation leaked to reporters. And I feel bad for the reporters that are doing their jobs and, in my opinion, doing them correctly, getting their sources, confirming their sources, reporting directly what has been reported to them and not adding in any extra context or or insinuations. And overall, this is just a a microcosm of the circus that has become this team under Robert Sala this year. And Matt, that's where I really want to go next before we get to this Texans game. I'm so disappointed in Robert Sala for the way that he has lost control of this team, where it doesn't feel like Sala as a head coach has any sort of autonomy. It doesn't feel like he, as a head coach, is making decisions based on the fact that he believes they're the best decisions to be made. Sala himself says, for weeks on end, before the last couple of games, Zach Wilson gives us our best chance to win. With the guys that we have on our team, with what our quarterback room is made up of right now, Zach Wilson is going to give us the best chance to win. That's why he's playing. Then you bench him. Granted, your offense is failing. You don't really have that opportunity or that chance to look back and say, well, everything is going fine because it wasn't 
and some sort of a change had to be made, sure. And we all know why he can't fire the offensive coordinator that deserves to be fired. Zach became the scapegoat. And then after two weeks of Tim Boyle being even worse than Zach Wilson by a wide margin, now it's, well, we're going to go back to Zach. We're going to put him back in the lineup and we're going to cut Tim Boyle outright. And Sala's words are going to be, well, he always gave us the best chance to win. And we were just trying to find a spark by, by putting somebody else in. It ha- Can we understand that the idea of putting Tim Boyle in the game was to find a spark and he was so bad he got cut? <laughs> yeah. In, like, I, I'm not uh, sure I, if I saw this from somebody else or if uh, Sala said this, how it's like, oh, it's like in hockey where sometimes you, you, you pull the goalie and the hope for a spark on offense or, or, or something like that. And, but the fact that is that they didn't put Zach back in afterward, right? They, right. they, they deactivated him. He was right. He went to QB three. So that does a lot just on its own. Um, and I, I, I don't know who the pressure came from, whether it's JD or, uh, whether it's Woody, or even if it's, I hope it's not the fans uh, or the media that impacted his decision. Um, but something in his head told him, uh, or outside of his head, told him, hey, we need to make a change. And then it, it happened. And then the most predictable thing happened, and it was worse. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's concerning. Absolutely. And it's, also making me really doubt any kind of future with the organization that we have right now, whether it's with JD or with Sala. It, it just seems like things are broken to a point where, all right, let's say uh, Rodgers comes back and even plays well next year. Like, will that really burn the taste out of our mouths that this season has placed? I don't think so because I don't know. Maybe maybe it will just because we're so hungry and thirsty for some success that we'll just take that and forget everything else. Uh, it's possible, but you know what? Uh, let's do this. I, I'm I'm gonna do a message for me in the future. If if that does happen, if we do start to see success, don't fall for it. Know that once Rogers is gone. That success will go with it. Don't fall for it. There we go. Let's let's yeah. let's stop chasing waterfalls. Yeah, I think that's the the smartest way to go about it. And I think another important caveat to put in is we don't even know how good Rogers could be. That's we don't true. even know. Yeah. We don't even know what what that success might look like. We were expecting success before this year, and look what happened. And so. It, Anything is possible in the future um, to where I think you're 100% right. If there is some success, don't fall for it because it's going to be short term and short lived. And it's not going to be a sustainable thing for years on end. The what, what I want to go back to really quick, Matt, you had talked about where did this pressure on Sala to make a change at quarterback come from? And he said, I hope it's not the fans or the media. I hate to tell you, buddy, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. I, I, I really do. Because Woody Johnson 
on board with Zach Wilson. If if Woody wasn't on board with Zach Wilson, they would have cut him in the offseason and they wouldn't have even tried this reclamation project idea. Wouldn't have even been a, a remote possibility. He would, would have had Rodgers, would have said, this is my guy. Zach didn't work. We'll get him a backup. We're going all in on Aaron and everything that he wants. And, and we tried Zach. It didn't work. It's over. Boom, gone. Goodbye. See ya. I, I don't see Woody Johnson being the person to say, why is Zach Wilson your quarterback to put somebody else in? It's definitely not Joe Douglas because Joe Douglas is trying to do anything he can to save the Zach Wilson pick and seem like it wasn't a complete and total failure. So the two guys above Sala in the pecking order in terms of the team, I think would be on board with Zach Wilson in the state that he was in. You have the media pressure that was constant for weeks where media members from a a bunch of different outlets were all saying, you got to bench Zach Wilson. It can't get worse than Zach Wilson. And it did. And some of those same media members have now come back and said, well, we were wrong. It was worse than Zach Wilson. And it could have been worse. And maybe he did really give them the best chance to win. It may not be a high chance. And I think that's where people misconstrue the word best, best of a bad situation. The best being the the quarterback that gives you the best chance to win on this New York Jets team doesn't mean you're a good quarterback. It means you're the best of a bad group. And there's a very, very distinct difference there. I'll tell you what, Matt, and I didn't even think about this until today. Um, just a little bit ago when I was watching and reading some of Nathaniel Hackett's press conference today, I think Hackett was part of the pressure too. Because Hmm. Hackett is outright saying over these past two weeks of Zach Wilson sitting and being benched that that was his chance to get that reset and learn from Aaron. And that was the idea of, of him being here and, and take a seat and take a step back and reset yourself and, and all of that. It's week 14. You've been the offensive coordinator since last January. You've had Zach Wilson under you as your quarterback since before you even had Aaron Rodgers technically under you as your quarterback. Have we heard at any point over the summer, over the beginning of the year when Zach Wilson was first starting to play, over at any point at all since Hackett has arrived? that Zach was struggling with the playbook or needed some more time with the playbook or needed some more time to, to learn the offense and get comfortable. Has, have we heard that at all? Because I haven't heard any of it until Nathaniel Hackett today. In fact, I feel like we've heard the opposite. Exactly. We've heard exactly how how well he's taking to being under Rogers wing, how quickly he's picked up this offense and how well he looks in it. And then Rodgers gets hurt, and yeah, and then we see exactly what they think of of Zach and and how they approach Zach and how they want to treat Zach. So it's yeah, it, we're we're getting a lot of mixed messages here, uh, and really, it's just the underlying problem is we can't trust them, and no. that's not going to change. No, it's not. And and lastly, I think that from Hackett's perspective, he's thinking, well, Tim Boyle knows my offense. We were together for years in Green Bay. He knows this better than Zach Wilson does, as you would hope, considering how much more time Boyle has had to learn it and how much more time he's had with Aaron Rodgers in the same vein of this is supposed to help Zach. Well, Boyle's been around Rodgers for longer. He's been in the system for longer. 
he knows what I like to call. He knows how this game is supposed to be run. And you're forgetting the biggest part about all of this, which is at some point in the NFL, as a professional sports league, you need to be physically, athletically talented. And Tim Boyle didn't have the arm talent, didn't have the mobility, and didn't have the accuracy to be a sustainable, successful quarterback. I don't even think he's backup caliber. I don't even think this is somebody that you would have as your backup. And if we're going to chastise the the Jets and Joe Douglas and everything else and say, oh, all of this would have been fixed if they just had a veteran backup quarterback instead of Zach Wilson. Well, Tim Boyle's a veteran backup quarterback. And look at how bad that was. So I'm, I'm really, really frustrated, I think is the best word. And with Robert Sala more than anybody, because you're the head coach. You're the leader. You're the one famously after getting hired in 2021 who comes out and says, I wouldn't have taken a job if I didn't have the full power to do things how I would want to do them in a relationship where I felt controlled by other people or felt like my decisions were being forced for me and I wasn't allowed that autonomy to lead the team in the way that I want. That was Salah's message. That was what everything he was about. And now this year, you're going to let fans, media, and possibly your offensive coordinator dupe you into benching your best shot of being somewhat even remotely possibly successful just to appease them for a few weeks. And when the results are that much worse than than anyone was expecting, well, let's not say anyone, when the results were that much worse (laughs) than most people were expecting outside of a couple of two podcast uh, hosts over here, you get exactly what you deserve. And I think that's where we are with this situation is that this is Robert Sala getting what he deserves. You had the opportunity as the head coach to say, no, Nathaniel Hackett, I'm the head coach. I set the lineup. I don't care if you think Tim Boyle is going to be better. I know he won't be. Zach's your quarterback. Deal with it. Didn't do it. You had the opportunity to continue to tell the media and take the bullets and be the one that has to go up there and say the same thing or give the coach speak or whatever it is and say, We're in a tough spot, guys. I know. I know the results aren't pretty, but this guy gives us the best chance to win, and that's why he's going to keep playing. And until the wheels completely and totally fall off, he's going to be our quarterback. You can keep asking me about it all you want, but that's what it's going to be. To block out the noise from the fans who are anti-Zach Wilson because they've been anti-Zach Wilson for two years and don't have the, the, the... the foresight or, or the self-awareness to stop and look and say, okay, what, what's really going on here? I'm, I'm really, really upset with Robert Sala. And like you said, it, it makes it hard to trust them. It makes it hard to, to have that thought process going forward of this is the guy and this is the organization that we want leading this team into a bout of sustained success. I, I'm, I'm really not confident. And I hope the rest of this year we see a change because the Robert Sala that we have right now is not the Robert Sala that we got in 2021. And that's an issue. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because uh, the amount of energy uh, and and pure joy that we all felt when Tala first came in, we we really bought in to everything he was saying, and it seemed like a lot of the players did as well. Um, they started saying his, his the same coach speak that he says all the time, um, so it, it's definitely been instilled in them, but. The fact of the matter is he just isn't practicing what he preaches. And 
it's having repercussions now throughout the fan base, throughout the media, uh, and probably throughout the team as well. I, mean, I, I, I don't know if they're too close to where they don't see it, uh, but from our vantage point, it's all very clear. Um, and yeah, so now it's kind of like, where, where do we go from here? Not just like this week against the Texans, but right after that, where, where do we go? That, that's that is the the question on everybody's minds uh for right now all we could do is look one week ahead and look at the next coming game houston texans on sunday a team that has surprised a lot of people a rookie quarterback in cj stroud who is playing some of the best football of any rookie quarterback in quite a long time uh a rookie head coach in D'Amico ryan's who used to work under robert sala as his linebacker coach in san francisco before robert sala became the jets head coach Teams that know each other very well. Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator, another 49ers assistant that Sal is familiar with and that a lot of players uh, and a lot of coaches and players on the Jets are familiar with. These are two teams that have a lot of crossover in terms of backgrounds of coaching and identity and how they want to play and how they want to be built. It's basically the Texans with their offense intact are what the Jets want to be. You have a defense that rushes four with a strong defensive line, good group of uh, secondary players that can make plays on the ball. You have an offense that can be explosive, can be multiple, can live through its quarterback, makes a lot of big plays off play action, has the same sort of similar concepts. And it's going to be two teams that I think this game might be closer than people expect because there's so much crossover between the coaching staff and tendencies and and knowing what people like in certain situations. I, I mean, both these teams know each, what each other wants to do pretty dang well. And, and I think that could make things tough um, for both sides this weekend. Matt, I want to get your opinion first. Let's start with this Jets offense. Let's start with Zach Wilson's, Zach Wilson's swan song, if you will, to finish out the rest of this year starting this week. What can this offense do differently now that Zach Wilson is back in the lineup to try and make something happen? Um, well, they can go against every single thing that they've tried to do so far. Uh, just do the opposite. Uh, they, I don't think they've used a lot of motion at all this year to try and uh, make it a little easier for Zach to read the defense. Uh, do that. Uh, I don't think they've used uh, the speed that our running backs have to their advantage. Let's do that. Uh, let's try and get. They didn't. They haven't really tried to get Zach into any kind of early rhythm uh, by prioritizing the pass. Let's do that. Uh, let's. We haven't really until very recent until like last week almost really uh, breed an environment to where our quarterback can actually throw the ball past fifteen yards or ten yards or even five yards for that matter. Um, so you know what? Let's keep doing that because we actually saw some improvement in the offensive line last week. Uh, and I think that hopefully that can carry over to this week as well. And that will only be a positive thing for the offense and for Zach uh, if that can happen. I feel like when Zach is in a mindset where he isn't panicking to where he has a, a little on the line, then he kind of thrives in those situations. It kind of takes me back to when uh, we saw him in two-point conversion scenarios, how he just looked a little bit more loose, a little bit more free, 
and he made plays. Uh, and then, you know, when, take the go back to when he's in the red zone and he's got a, a and he's got to be careful about throwing a, an interception uh, or uh, or just the the pressure of getting a touchdown. I feel like that weighs him down. So the fact that he's already been benched and is coming back, the season's pretty much over as far as playoffs go. There's not a lot on the line here. He's just got to go out and do his job. And you know what? I think if that's his only, uh, the only thing pressuring him right now, I think that uh, that's enough to like put him in a in a state of mind where he is a little more at ease. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I completely and totally agree. Allowing Zach Wilson, well, this is kind of in two parts. First and foremost, Zach Wilson having the mindset himself to be free, to let it rip, to not be as hesitant. As he said himself uh, in his press conference, I believe it was yesterday, aggressively smart, where if he sees it and it's there, let it rip. Don't have that second thought. If the defense makes a play, they make a play. But I saw something I liked, and I'm going to take a shot, and that's because I'm going to try and do. And if something bad happens, something bad happens. Having that mindset, I think, is is vital for there to be any amount of success because otherwise, if you're still in that timid mindset, how much better are you than a guy like Tim Boyle? Where if you have the talent to improve and make things happen and and elevate the players around you, but you're scared to use it, it basically doesn't matter if you have it at all. So I think that that's a huge part of it. I also think the other part is from an offensive coordinator perspective for Nathaniel Hackett, allowing him to play that way call plays that allow him to be aggressive call plays that allow him to look for matchups and and take shots when they're there instead of being so worried to be so conservative to limit this guy to you know want him to play free and then put him in a cage from a play calling perspective are is really hard to do um so in that same vein my first point for the offense, and it might seem a little counterintuitive to people. I want to see the Jets spread things out. I, I'm sick of the six-man protection with tight ends. I'm sick of the chip and releases because they don't work. It, what's the point of keeping a running back in to pass protect if the running backs you have either can't pass protect or miss their blocks entirely? What's the point of having a tight end chipping a defensive end if that tight end is going to do such a bad job chipping that the offensive tackle can't even get back to recover in time and you allow a free runner? What's the point of condensing the offense and keeping everybody closer to the line of scrimmage and saying, okay, well, you know, we don't trust our offensive line, so we're going to block a running back and we're going to have Conklin chip on a way out. And then that's going to give us four receivers in the pattern. And it's really three because Conklin's route is going to take so long to develop that he's only going to be a check down and everyone's covered. And now our quarterback just has to sit and wait for someone to get open when even with the expert extra protection, this line is struggling to block. I think the better route against this Texans team is spread things out, not keep everybody so condensed, Get into your empty sets, get into your, you know, two by two sets where you got two receivers on each side and two guys split out wide as far as you can. Make this defense declare what they're doing, make it harder for them to disguise, because if they want to, if they're going to run um, a, a trap cover two, where they're going to show cover three pre-snap with a single high safety and, and the 
box safety is going to be down closer to the line of scrimmage and he's then going to drop out and rotate into a cover two post snap. Well, if you spread everything out and you have an outside receiver all the way far outside on the line of scrimmage and he just runs straight, that safety has got a long way to go when he's dropping back into his cover two uh, zone to catch up if that receiver is further outside as opposed to a receiver in a tight split. On top of that, the Texans don't blitz very much at all. They're 26th in the league in terms of blitz rate, just like the Jets and Robert Sala. The Jets are dead last in blitz rate this year. They want to win by rushing four. They want to try and keep people in coverage. They don't want to constantly be sending pressure at quarterbacks. They would rather win in sort of that same bend but don't break style. So if you're not getting the extra rushers to start with, it's not you're not as worried about having to keep people in the pass protect. And I think the more people can be out in routes quickly and being a threat to actually catch the ball is going to be better for Zach Wilson to give him more options for people to go to. I, I think the more spread out of an offense you can have, like I said, it's easier to see what the defense is doing. And in turn, it's easier for Zach Wilson to pick his matchups and to say, OK, we got. Garrett Wilson's in the, in the slot, and that's a that's Blake Cashman, the linebacker, for, former Jet, who's actually playing some really good football for Houston this year. He's going to have to cover him up the seam because we're so far spread out and and corner slot corners on the other side. We're going to have to carry Garrett. That's an easy matchup to read if you're a quarterback, and, and I think that those sorts of things can happen if you go away from the ideally. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? If you go away from the kind of usual suspect of an offensive plan when your offensive line isn't working, of keep a bunch of people in protection, keep things close to the line of scrimmage, play tighter, try and allow for free releases with tight splits. They've been trying that for, for six, seven weeks now, and it hasn't worked. So spread things out, give Zach an easier defense to read, give him more options in the pattern to throw to faster, and trust that your offensive line that's finally starting to get a little bit healthier and had a pretty a uh, better performance in pass protection the week before than we've seen in a couple of weeks prior trust that they can get it done and trust that worst case scenario Zach Wilson has the legs to be able to make something happen himself and the more spread out you are offensively you're going to have less defenders closer to the line of scrimmage and and where the quarterback's dropping back easier rush lanes for Zach Wilson to make some things happen with his legs. I, I think it would be a, a shooting yourself in the foot to try and play the same tight, condensed six, seven protection chips with tight ends, tight ends on defensive ends. Uh, I think that's asking for trouble. It really is. Uh, one th- little wrinkle that they uh, added last week, uh, I guess the Falcons was using Dwayne Brown as a tight end. Uh, I'm curious what you think about him, either an expanded uh, role like that or uh, just replacing Carter Warren completely. Um, I, 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 mm, it's tough because I think it can go both ways. I think Carter Warren should get some experience. I think we've seen with how bad this offensive line is, we got to find out what you have. You got to be able to to evaluate your own players and one of the only positives uh, of this time has been we know Max Mitchell is not going to be a serviceable player. We now know that for a fact. We've seen him play. We've seen the results. We know that that's not something that can be relied on. If Carter Warren doesn't get that chance, then we're never going to know. And so I think he needs that opportunity as well 
try and get his feet wet, get comfortable, and give the Jets a chance to evaluate their own players. That said, I'm so sick of watching Conklin, Ruckert, and Uzama mess up on run blocks that if Dwayne Brown is going to be the tight end and he's going to be the one blocking a defensive end in the run game, I'd rather him do it than than somebody like Ruckert. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, folks. I, I I know we love him. I, I know he's the the Long Island kid. Holy, holy crap. The dude has been awful as a run blocker ever since he's been back in the lineup and it hasn't gotten any better and it still isn't getting any better. And it's not like he's lighting the league up in a passing game sense to where it makes it worth it. So I I think Wayne Brown at tight end, not all the time, but I'm fine with it in spurts. I'm fine with it to try and get something going in the run game. But I really do want to see Carter Warren get his chance. And if Carter Warren starts, you know, flaming out and it's clear that he's not ready or isn't going to be ready, et cetera, then you put Dwayne Brown back in. You see what he can do. Yeah, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Um, I, I kind of want to mix in what you said before with spreading it out. I, I'd love to have Dwayne Brown in as just an extra lineman, sure, as a tight end, but and then spread it out with four wide. So. We can do it. We can kind of get the best of both worlds. Get some better protection for Zach uh, that we're not getting from uh, Uzama or Rucker or or Conklin, and also put him in a position where he has more of a chance uh, to either be protected and also make a play downfield. Uh, I've been looking at uh, the the wide receivers and how. They've been separating. Uh, we've noticed uh, well before uh, the last couple of weeks that it's Wilson getting separation and then nobody else. But since Gibson has kind of inserted himself into the lineup, he's been getting more time, and he's also been separating a good amount as well. The uh, only one I, on offense not he, named Garrett Wilson still exactly. making plays. But you know what? I'm okay with that. As long as you have more than one person able to separate, that's only a plus. Uh, and that's only really started a couple of weeks ago. So maybe that little wrinkle as well uh, will improve Zach's production overall. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and that actually lines up perfectly with the next point I was going to make. You have to get your playmakers the ball in space. And even if it doesn't work the first time or two, keep trying it. This Texans team is first in the NFL in total missed tackles. They have had 100 missed tackles this year as a team. They struggle to tackle in space. Xavier Gibson is already difficult to bring down in space, and now you have a team that really struggles to make tackles in space. I think this is the perfect game to spread things out and then try the quick slant with Gibson over the middle and see if he can't break a tackle. It's the perfect game to run the reverse to Garrett Wilson and, and see if you can't get some blocks front side and let him make somebody miss. It's the perfect game to try and throw some screens, throw some screens to your backs. Even we've seen for, for what it's worth, Dalvin Cook has has improved. And, and I don't want to be, you know, completely and totally full blown negative to where I'm still don't think it was a good signing. I still would wish that guys like Izzy would be able to get the ball and not have to have that Dalvin Cook buffer in between to see the field. But we've seen him make some plays when there is some space to be made. It's not like he's completely and totally worthless. And so even if it's Dalvin Cook getting the ball on a screen, give him a chance. The, the fear for me is that right now, Brees Hall didn't practice yesterday with an ankle injury. 
we're waiting to hear today, Thursday, the Thursday injury report to see what's going to happen. If he's going to be back, if he's still not going to practice, if he's not going to be practicing again on Thursday, it's going to be kind of hard to imagine him being ready to go full speed for Sunday. If this is the Dalvin Cook show, or if it is the Cook and Izzy show, get them the ball in space. Make the Texans tackle these guys because they really they struggle quite literally more than anybody else in the league to do so. So I'm I'm right there with you. I think Gibson could be a big factor. I think Garrett's always going to be a factor in, in as many ways as you can get him the ball. And then I really think it's about spread things out, find your matchups down the field, and quite honestly, Matt, I don't know how you feel about this take. Screw the run game. They can't run block. Make yeah. make your <laughs> make your Make screens and short passes your run game because you you cannot run block at all. Brees Hall was at, in the past game against the Falcons. I couldn't even believe this stat when I saw it. Brees, Brees Hall against the Falcons. Guess how many yards before contact he averaged in that game? Yards before contact? Yards before contact. Negative two. Zero point zero. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> all zero right. point yeah. zero way, yards before contact. <laughs> There was literally, for the entirety of the game, as an averaged out at the end, there was not a single opportunity for Brees Hall in the run game where he was able to get past the line of scrimmage without being touched. You can't run block, don't bother. Yeah, it, it, it's true. And it's, it's sad in it to, to see them just do the same thing over and over again. It's like, oh, they're going to run the ball here on second and long, and they're going to get nothing out of it, and then it's just going to be third and long, uh, and they just keep doing it. Like, at what point do they just try something new? Prioritize the pass, and don't stop. I, I completely agree. I completely and totally agree. Um, defensively, Matt, what do you think the Jets should be doing this week? Um, they need to be on their, their P's and Q's, uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, pass coverage, uh, because that's their bread and butter. Uh, that's, that's what they want to do. They want to beat you in the air. Uh, so if we can get the pressure that we normally get, uh, great. If we can clamp down on the receivers with our amazing corners, great. Uh, and then whatever they do on the ground, I think we can manage. Because that's not their bread and butter, right? That they have Pierce, who's in an off year. They have Singletary, who's kind of been a little bit of a spark. But either way, none of them have really produced to the point where you're like, wow, we got to really worry about their run game. Uh, so it's all about lim- limiting Stroud in the air. Pink uh, uh, Dell is is done. So then it's really about all their their secondary options uh, and and stopping them. And I think we're more than equipped to, to do that, really. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I, I completely and totally agree. My, I got to be clear here that the point I'm going to make of what they should do, we're going to go over really quick, and then I'm going to completely and totally walk past it because the Jets aren't even going to bother trying. So we'll, <laughs> I'll mention it for the sake of this is what they should do, and then we can go back to what they actually might do. Um, the Jets should blitz the crap out of CJ Stroud. They mm-hmm. should... They should be blitzing like crazy. Stroud is excellent, excellent in the pocket, being able to maneuver, keep his eyes downfield, find his second and third reads. And even when things are starting to close and collapse around him, he can make a play. If you give him a four man rush, 
and you aren't getting home consistently, he's going to pick you apart. And it's not going to matter what you try and do defensively because you're going to be playing zone most likely because you're the Jets. And Bobby Slowick practices against your defense every week it, with D'Amico Ryan's essentially running the same same system. You are going to have a, a really, really tough time fooling this guy uh, in terms of CJ Stroud. You're going to have a really, really rough time finding coverages that are going to take away what they're going to look to do. And the more time you give Stroud to just hang in the pocket and find somebody, it, the worse it's going to be because this dude's arm talent is also for real. And he can wait two and a half, three seconds in the pocket and then launch a missile downfield without his feet being fully set and the ball's still going to go 50 yards. That is a not a quarterback that you can survive playing passively against. You have to send extra pressure. You have to heat things up. I truly think with the way the Jets secondary has been playing, that you can blanket these receivers if you trust your corners in man coverage. Nico Collins is their biggest target right now with Tank Dell out. That's a perfect matchup for Sauce Gardner. Nico Collins about 6'2", 215, give or take the same size as Sauce Gardner. Again, got the same height, length matchup there. Sauce is plenty agile enough to keep up with him. Nico Collins is by no means a burner down the fields where you're worried about him getting outran. I, I think Sauce can smother Nico Collins. I really do. The rest of their receiving core, Noah Brown and Robert Woods is their two starters. John Mechie is their kind of fourth receiver here and there. None of them are outright terrifying me to where I don't think Michael Carter II and DJ Reed can't keep up. And so I would think that my game plan would be blitz your Frickin' tail off. If Stroud is going to beat your blitz, then so be it. Trust your corners and man coverage. Put them at the line of scrimmage. Make it very, very difficult for this Houston Texans passing game to just drop back, read a defense, and let Stroud pick his where he wants to go with the ball and get it off. I, I think you got to send pressure. The Jets aren't going to do that. They they aren't. They don't do that. They have the lowest blitz rate in the entire league at I think sixteen point nine percent for the entirety of the year. So that's a, a blitz less than, you know, every six plays, five or six plays they might be blitzing at literally the lowest rate in the league. It's not going to be something they do. They're going to want to play the coverage aspect, rush for, you know, not get beat by the explosives. And so if that is how you are going to play, then you have to change up your coverages defensively. This is where the trap calls come in. This is where you need to disguise more. This is where you need to give Stroud a false look to start uh, pre-snap and make him take that extra half of a second or third of a second to think and hitch and react to what he's seeing unfold in front of him. If you just give him a clear picture pre-snap and rush four, you're going to lose this game by 20, 20 25 points. Uh, it, it's hard to say because... Our front four has been so good, even without blitzing. So I, I always have the the thought of if it's not broken, don't fix it. Uh, so I am of the mind where just keep doing what we're doing because they're still getting pressure regardless of their if if they're blitzing or not. Uh, so then it's just a matter of of uh, Stroud overcoming that the pressure plus the coverage with bodies deep. So I, I, I would try that first. And if it doesn't work, hey, uh, by all means, blitz, 
the hell out of them and and see what happens. Yeah, I um, I don't totally disagree, but I actually think it might should be the opposite because when the Jets have blitz this year, and they have done it every now and again, but when they've done it, it's been very well timed and it's been very well designed from the sense that when they're blitzing, they're blitzing with the thought of we are going to get a free runner. We're not blitzing for the sense of we're just going to send extra man and and make it so that everyone's taking a one-on-one or you have to keep it back in to protect. I think of blitzes from Michael Carter off the slot um, that have happened a couple of times this year that have come home and came free. I think of Quincy Williams blitzing in Denver and, and getting a, a basically game-winning fumble. I, I think of plays like that to where start the game, show those blitzes, send your your timely timely blitzes to get free runners and make that that offense and Stroud and Bobby Slowick respect that that's a possibility then drop out and let your four do what they do because if you wait too long then you're playing catch up we don't trust this offense enough to keep a game close for that long and if you come out early and you start getting picked apart a little bit then they're going to expect the change then they're going to expect that okay now we got to send some more pressure then if you're the Texans, you know how to play into it. I think if you start with the blitz, you can catch them off guard a little bit more. I, I'm all for it. Go for it. See what happens. <laughs> At this hey, point, you try it something. It doesn't really matter, but <laughs> do something. Something different. I, I'd love to see some kind of change and alteration to game plan uh, other than what we've seen uh, so far this season. Uh, even if it's on defense uh, and there's not a lot that we can flaw this defense on. Uh, it would still be nice to see a little variety and a little uh, elasticity when it comes to a game plan. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, 110%. Let's get to picks and let's go ahead and wrap this one up. All right. So uh, last week I uh, went a little rogue and, and predicted a win uh, when I really shouldn't have. I, I gave way too much credit to, to Boyle being an NFL quarterback or even an NFL backup. Uh, so I'm going to remedy that this week and say eh, 22-17 Texans. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I am way, way, way less optimistic than you are. Um, I think this game could be tight for the coaching staff knowing each other. Uh, and the the similarities there. I think there are ways that we have laid out that the Jets can find a way to make this game competitive and to take advantage of some of the the issues with this Texans team. I'm just really not sure they're going to do it. And so I think being stuck in your ways and being same old, same old is going to really play into the hands of the Texans coaches and not so much the Jets coaches. Um. Before we started recording, Matt, we talked. Uh, I had talked to you about how you know I had a, a for whatever it was. I had a good feeling of this game. Here we are, an hour later after recording, and I have completely changed my mind. Um, I completely and totally, completely and totally changed my mind. I am going to go twenty four ten Texans. Mm-hmm. I think that the Jets offense will get a touchdown. I think it'll come from. Uh, an explosive play somewhere in the game that'll get them close to the red zone and they'll punch it in. They might get another field goal. But I I don't know how you beat this Texans team if you don't change your tendencies. If you do, you might have a pretty good shot. If you don't, then I think it's going to be the same old, same old 
and you're you're allowing the Texans to play the game that they want to play already. And and freaking CJ Stroud is ridiculous. I, I mean, this dude's yes. leading the league in passing yards as a rookie. He's on pace for over five thousand yards as a rookie. I, I mean, some of and it's not just statistics. I mean, the the pocket presence with him, the arm talent, the vision. The, the ability to just be calm under pressure, even when people are, are closing in around him, even when he's got guys in his face, the ability to just react, stay calm, go through his reads, find open men down the field late in the play. I mean, he, he looks like a third or fourth year veteran. And, and this is his, this will be his 14th start. So I'm, I'm really, really worried that same old Jets are going to be same old Jets and it's not going to go well. 24-10 Texas. Yeah, that's likely. Uh, but uh, then again, we faced other elite quarterbacks this year and top tier quarterbacks, and we've made them look very uh, normal. So there's always a possibility of that as well. But in recent weeks, it's, we've started to see a lot more cracks in the defense. Uh, maybe teams are catching on, or maybe they're just not caring as much. Uh, but either way, uh, I, I don't see us winning this game. It will be a surprise to both of us if that ends up being the case. Um, I think that's where we all are. Thank you, everybody, so much for stopping by and tuning in and listening. As always, Matt, let the people know where they can find you. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jet. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast. Thank you one more time for stopping by, and we will be back real, real soon. Bye-bye. 